0: Now, let me pray as we look at Revelation 3 now. Father, thank you for this time, and we pray that you would help us as we turn to your word. Please encourage us, help us to focus on Jesus, help us to go from here ready to live for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So picture the scene, the church of Laodicea gather for a special meeting at which a letter is going to be read out. And uh, all the great and the good from the church are there. You know, it's a very special letter, this one that's come. It's from the Apostle John. And John's had a vision from Jesus himself. And they're thinking that the extraordinary thing isn't that the vision that isn't just general teaching for all Christians, it's specifically for the church at Laodicea. At least these, this little section they're going to hear is for them. And they're thinking, isn't that wonderful? What a privilege. And as they gather together, the people discuss what might be the content of this letter. And it will surely be a letter of congratulations, they think to themselves. Because, frankly, Laodicea is a church that is going strong. Numbers are up. Giving is going well. The budget has been running a surplus for years. The finance team are very pleased with themselves. The church looks pretty full on Sundays. Even local residents, who sometimes go to, uh, who sometimes walk past while church is going on, they comment about the number of people that they see going in and out. It clearly wasn't during a time of coronavirus that they received this letter. The rotors are full. There's no shortage of volunteers. When the pastor of the church was interviewed recently about how things were going, he said, well, you know, they're ticking along, really. No major problems. Everything's just running itself. Uh, We've worked hard for years to get it like this. And now I really feel that we've arrived somewhere good. So let's see then. What did Jesus have to say? Dear church at Laodicea, you make me sick. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And the Laodicean Christians are shocked and devastated. Jesus is comparing the spiritual state of uh, their church, to their local water supply. The problem for Laodicea was that water for drinking and for bathing had to come from somewhere else. Uh, they didn't have their own springs to provide their own water. And uh, Colossi down the road had freshwater springs for drinking, and so that got piped to Laodicea. And then Hierapolis, also nearby, had lovely hot springs for bathing, and this was also piped to Laodicea. And the, but the problem was, by the time the water got to Laodicea from Hierapolis up the road, the hot springs had gone cold. And, the, the, and then the lovely cold water that came for drinking had kind of warmed up by the time it arrived. So both of these springs that came from other places arrived kind of mm, lukewarm. think of that feeling you get when you drink water out of a tap when it's just been running hot. Um, or, Or think of what happens when the bath water's just been allowed to sit there for slightly too long. It's a horrible kind of lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. I wish, you know, either would be good, but in the middle is not great. And Jesus is saying, you Christians at Laodicea, you are like your water supply. You are no good for anything. Well, it's pretty strong to say, why is that then? Well, he gives his reasons, if you look. So verse 17 is the first thing to see here. Without Jesus, we are pitifully poor. Without Jesus, we're pitifully poor. So verse 17, he says, "'You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, "'and do not need a thing, but you do not realise "'that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked.'" So here's the heart of the problem. They think they're rich when they're not. And the reason is that they're measuring the wrong things. Things have become more important than Jesus. Their identity has been defined by something other than Jesus. Their wealth, their riches has become what they boast. Because they're rich, they think they don't need anything else they have all they need now you know it's not as if wealth is intrinsically bad but as one writer puts it a good thing becomes a bad thing when it becomes a ruling thing wealth can be used for good in god's kingdom but when it becomes the be all and end all the thing that defines us the thing that we boast in well then actually then it's a bad thing now we need to think don't we about how we spot that if that's happening, either as a church or as individuals. How can you know if Jesus is no longer your identity, but something else has taken his place? Well, maybe if there's something that you can't imagine doing life without. You know, I, I, I can't imagine life without my job. Maybe a church might say, I can't. we can't imagine life without our building. But it's not just financial wealth that might be taking Jesus's place actually there's all kinds of wealth and riches aren't there you know the feeling that we have made it socially culturally spiritually so much so that we start to despise those who don't match up if we're doing that kind of thing then a good thing has become a ruling thing and it makes it a bad thing and perhaps worst of all just thinking we've arrived, either as a church or as individuals. No more work is necessary. No more change is required. We are the finished article. We have acquired wealth. We do not need a thing. That's what that might look like. If that's what you think, says Jesus, you do not realise that actually you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. You can have all those things and enjoy the finest reputation in the world, but still not have the actual thing that matters. So it's like turning up at the airport. I know we're all sort of thinking, remembering the days when we could just turn up at the airport and get on a plane. I'm sure those days will be back at some point. But turning up at the airport with your, day, your bags packed, your foreign currency exchanged, your liquids in little containers in a see-through bag, Sudoku book in your hand luggage. The neighbours briefed on how to look after the cats. You're feeling relaxed. You're ready to go. You're feeling pleased with yourself. There's been no arguments on the way uh, to the airport. Minimum of fuss. But you've got no passport. And no matter how ready for holiday you look at that point at the airport, well, no, you're not ready for holiday. And there is only shame and embarrassment and upset as you head back home in a taxi instead of on holiday in the aeroplane. I hope that's never happened to anybody here. I don't think it's happened to me. Um, it, it doesn't matter, you see, what, what else we have or what else we've done. If we don't have Jesus, then we're pitifully poor. So that's the first thing to see in these verses. But then, secondly... With Jesus, we are royally rich. With Jesus, we are royally rich. Because here's the thing. Jesus doesn't just berate their shortcomings. He also offers them something much better than they would ever have dreamt of. True riches beyond their wildest dreams. So verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. So do you see what he offers? Real riches, real gold, clothes for their nakedness, salve for their blindness. This is a picture, in other words, of of forgiveness, of the covering over of their sin, of restoring them to spiritual health. And more than that, giving them true riches, true life. In the first reading from Isaiah 55, we heard a sort of Old Testament picture about the same kind of invitation. It's a picture of God's grace. See, we've put something in his place so that we're more concerned about created things than we are about our creator. There's a problem between us and God. But then God steps in and he, 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 he points out that problem and then he does something about it with love and forgiveness and true life beyond our wildest dreams. I may have used this picture before, but it's it's as if we've been priding ourselves on being rich enough to afford to eat every single day of the week at the local Mr. Chicken Express. Now, it turns out Mr. Chicken Express also does non-specific meat kebabs and fried stuff. Lots and lots of fried stuff. And this as if, you know, we have been priding ourselves. Isn't it fantastic that I can eat as much as I want, as often as I want, at Mr. Chicken Express every day of my life? And it's as if God is saying to us, you fools, what are you doing? All that junk food is going to kill you. Come to me and I'll give you a heart transplant to deal with all those clogged arteries. And more than that, I will give you free, free food at the Ritz, which for the purposes of this story is not just the best food, but the most healthy food too. Just if you can imagine that. Free food at the Ritz forever. Stop paying for bad food Mr. Chicken Express, come and have the best food for free at the Ritz. He's saying, what are you doing boasting in your own puny riches when you can have real life in Jesus? Suppose all those riches were taken away. The job went, the house went, the relationship. Or, 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 you know, for the church, the, the income vanished overnight. A fire destroyed the building. Suppose our culture continued its inevitable journey towards sidelining Christianity to the point where Christians are no longer treated just with apathy, but with open derision as if they're the lowest of the low, the immoral of our society. You might think you have nothing in those circumstances, but actually you would still have everything because you have Jesus. You would still be royally rich. That is what John is saying. Have we understood that for ourselves? Is Jesus our treasure or is something else trying to fill his place? Without Jesus, we're pitifully poor. With Jesus, we are royally rich. And so thirdly, welcome Jesus before it's too late. Welcome Jesus before it's too late. Chapter 3, verse 20 is a very famous verse and it's often taken by itself, out of context, as an invitation to the non-Christian to welcome Jesus into their heart. But look what Jesus means when he says it here. Look at this verse 20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. He's speaking not to outsiders, not to non-Christians but to Christians, as they meet to hear this letter together. He's saying that it's as if he's standing outside the door of the building, knocking on the door, and he's waiting to hear if they are willing to receive him. After all he's just said, his rebuke, his intention to spit them out of his mouth because they're lukewarm, how will they respond then? Will they hear all, uh, all this as it's intended, Verse 19, a rebuke in love, discipline out of genuine concern for them. If you will receive me, Jesus says, I will eat with you. In other words, I'm offering you real relationship with me. And the path to that real relationship is receiving his words, first of all, of rebuke and discipline, and then of promise and love and real life. The promise of a seat with him on his throne in heaven with his father. Verse 21, See, so often, as a, either as a church or as individuals, we fear a closer walk with Jesus because we fear that it will involve our sin and our weakness being exposed. We think, you know, I know things aren't quite right, but putting them right would be too painful. I just don't want to go there. We become comfortable with lukewarm mediocrity. But the thing is with Jesus, as we've seen here, he doesn't just offer a diagnosis that may be painful to hear. Even more importantly, he offers the cure that we can never provide for ourselves. We have nothing to fear when we come, when we welcome him to deal with our sins and our weaknesses. So what sins is he highlighting in our hearts this evening? What could we do about that? He tells us he's knocking at the door, let him in. Come to him in prayer. Be honest with him about the things that we struggle with, with the idols, the coldness, the apathy, the things that we're tempted to love more than we love him. Confess that, that though we so easily think we're rich, we are pitifully poor. We're like Paul in Philippians chapter three. Whatever was to our credit, we now count as loss because of the surpassing worth. All the things that we might put in our credit column, we move to the loss column. Confess that we've been eating in Mr. Chicken Express when the Ritz is on offer for free. Meditate on the goodness and love and kindness and surpassing goodness of Jesus, who died for you and for me. See that our desires for meaning and purpose and significance in eternity only find what they're looking for in him. Nothing else will satisfy. See that in him alone do we find a solution for our sin and our brokenness and our wandering hearts. See that he loves to welcome sinners home so we then can welcome him. So, as we finish, here is the 17th century poet George Herbert. This is his reflection on this theme. This poem is called Love Three. Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. I, the unkind, ungrateful, Ah, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply, who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame. My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. Here I am, says Jesus. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for exposing our sinful hearts that so easily are satisfied with things that are not you and are not Jesus. Help us to see where that is the case in our own hearts. Help us to respond to this invitation. To recognize our poverty. And then to come to Jesus and find real riches. May we hear him knocking at the door. And may we welcome him. And enjoy that fellowship, that meal with him. Amen.